morning, and we're gonna we're gonna record it. It'll be on our podcast, and then Art's gonna record it, and we'll put it on the church's website. Our podcast license won't allow us to video, but the church can, so it'll be on our podcast audio, and then it'll be on on the church's website when we get it together. So let's go to the Lord, and we'll pray, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor Bobby, and we let them out here, Pastor, about 10 minutes to 10. Um, So we'll go from there. Lord Jesus, we thank you. As we talked uh, Thursday night, uh, we're the reason that you came, and you came as a baby. And Lord, sometimes we worship you as a baby, but we reject you when you were nailed to a cross. Father, forgive us. Father, we thank you for this time, this season of the year when hearts are tender. We ask that you'd move and work in our lives and be what you want us to be. So Father, bless us now as we open the book. Be with Pastor Bobby as he leads us and in the further service, be with everything be with every prayer prayed, every song sung, every word spoken, every every uh, sermon preached, and and lift up and honor your word, and we'll give you the praise for everything. What's in Jesus' name? We ask it. Amen. All right. If you got your Bible, we're going to be in. Can you hear me? Through the microphone? You got it? Through the microphone? More? How about now? Testing, testing one. Can you hear me? You got it? How about now? We good? How about now? Can you hear me now? A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? How about if I talk louder? You good now? All right. <laughs> All right. I tell you what, I, it's uh, really exciting to be here with you guys. I have more fun laughing at covenant events than I probably should. I leave, I leave church on a regular basis with my face hurting because I've been smiling and laughing. Uh, the Mungos gave me the best laugh at the Christmas party. Robbie was coming in and he said, oh, I was at the door with a really ugly cow sweater on. And uh, he said, I see you wore your ugly sweater to the party. And I just had a straight face and said, what ugly sweater? <laughs> and he, and he kind of looked at me. And then Chris followed up with, that one you got on. <laughs> oh, man. My face was hurting before, before we even started. And, uh, but uh, we had a really good time with you guys. The, uh, I had been doing a pretty good job watching what had been eaten until I came to your Christmas party and the, uh, the one, the Joy Christmas Party, um, kind of blew it out of the water with those two. So, But anyways, we are in Matthew. We're in the Beatitudes. We're going to flip to a, a handful of different scriptures that talk about fasting. In the middle of your table, I printed off something from a Bible dictionary. 
There's a book called Easton's Bible Dictionary. I have a computer program where it's easy to print off Bible things. And this is just a reference for you to take home, use later if you want more information about fasting. But almost every time fasting is mentioned in the Bible, this little page talks about. And all of the scripture verses are in parentheses. So if you want to look up different times that fasting was done in the Bible, this is a great little resource for you. I won't be offended if you leave them behind, but if you want to study more at home, this is a a good start. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, we'll go ahead and read what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We'll make a couple of observations right off the bat about this passage. Then we'll cover a handful of other passages about fasting, and we'll we'll end in this passage again, if that sounds good to you guys, and kind of put it all together. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus in verse 16 and in verse 17 starts with, when you fast. It's not if you fast or anything else, but it's when you fast. And so you just see Jesus talking to his followers with this expectation that they will fast one day. If you fast forward a little ways uh, in the... I didn't write it down. Usually I mark all of my passages, but I didn't mark this particular one. Uh, Mark chapter 2, if you will. Go forward to Mark chapter 2. Matthew, then Mark, right in the beginning, chapter 2, verse 18. This is during Jesus' ministry as well. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. He has a run-in with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And so this is taking place during Jesus' time. The disciples of John the Baptist are fasting, and the Pharisees are fasting. And they came to Jesus and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. If you know anything, we don't have time to do a lot of background, but Jesus is the bridegroom he's talking about. And Jesus says, as long as I, the bridegroom, are with them, there's no need for them to fast. But there's coming a time where the bridegroom will be taken, and in that day, they'll fast. And so this is just even more expectation from Jesus that when he's gone, his followers will fast. And so let's go ahead and back up now to the book of Esther. Old Testament book, book of Esther. It's little if you find First and Second Chronicles and go forward. You'll hit Ezra and Nehemiah. Then you'll come upon Esther. This is Esther chapter 4. To kind of set the back story for you during Esther. Uh, the Jewish people are in captivity. Esther finds out that there's going to be a massacre of the Jewish people. And so in order to save the remnant of Jews that are in captivity, she needs to go to the king. 
Well, according to their law, she can't just go to the king anytime she wants to. So if you have a problem with your husband now, you just go to your husband and everything is normal, hopefully. In this day, in, in her day, he's sitting on a big throne. He has a scepter in his hand. And if she comes to him without being invited, or if anyone comes to him without being invited, if he doesn't lower his scepter, that individual can be taken off and beheaded. Right? And so you don't just walk up to the king. So all of these people protesting this day and age, that never would have happened in Babylon. Right? You want to protest? No problem. Off with your head. Anybody else want to protest? Oh, no? Okay, now we have peace in the kingdom. This is how they, how they ruled. And so Esther needs to go to the king to save the remnant of Jews. And so in verse 13, chapter 4, actually it starts in 15. Esther chapter 4, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or a day. And I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did as Esther had commanded him. And so the fate of the Jewish people is on the line. Esther seems to be the one holding the only card they have to play, and that's to go to the king and expose the... Um, uh, the mess that's about to happen and she wants the people to fast on her behalf for three days before she goes into the king so you have even in Esther's day they realize that this prayer and fasting has a way of getting the attention of the Lord and petitioning on our behalf to the Lord and he listens so you keep going a little forward and we'll go to the book of Daniel Pass Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You'll get to Daniel, headed right. And so we're kind of making this case that fasting is normal in the Old Testament. It's normal in the New Testament. And we're going to look at some reasons why these people are fasting also. And we're also going to look at some of the miraculous things that happen when people do fast. So here's Daniel, chapter 1. So Daniel also finds himself in captivity. Daniel's been chosen amongst some of the people of Israel to be trained by the governor so that they can go into service for the king. Daniel chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Then the king ordered Asphanes, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the nobles, youths, in whom was no defect, where, excuse me, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were all of, you're going to find the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. You keep going down to verse 8. So what's happened is that Daniel and some other Hebrews are in slavery, and they're going to be put into work for the king. 
So the king takes the best and the brightest, he's going to train them up, and then he's going to set them up as rulers over the land. They're going to rule over their people on behalf of the king. They're going to eat his food, they're going to drink his wine, and he's going to take care of these boys because they're going to take good care of him. Now you're in verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And so Daniel, even though he's in captivity in Babylon, remembers his Hebrew roots, and he's going to keep to his Hebrew diet, and he's not going to defile himself with the food from Babylon. So he's going to eat clean food, he's going to drink things that are clean, and he's going to do what the Lord wants him to do, even though he's out of, his, out of the promised land. Everybody following me? And so what he sets out to do in verse 9, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander and his officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths your own age? And so Daniel is going to abstain. He's going to fast from eating the king's food. And he's only going to eat certain foods. If you know anything about the training they're going through probably, or the lives that they're leading, he's going to stop eating meat. He's going to stop eating choice foods. And he's only going to eat vegetables. And so this guy who's in charge of making sure all of these youth are well fed, he's nervous. He says, Daniel, you can't do the vegetarian thing. He said, because all of these other guys are going to be fattened up looking nice for the king. You and your bunch, you're going to look haggard and tired and rough. So he says, this isn't going to fly. I'm nervous. So Daniel, who has favor from the Lord, says this. Then would you make, the, the guy says to Daniel, would you make me forfeit my head to the king? Verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over those men, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so Daniel gives him a test. He says, let's do this for 10 days, please. I'll eat the veggies, drink the water, let everyone else eat the king's food, and then you decide, looking at us and them, who is in better health, and if there's no difference, please let us keep abstaining from the king's food. And so the man says, okay. So he listened to them in this matter, verse 14, for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed to be better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating of the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. All right. Now, I'll, I'll put Art on the spot. Art, everybody knows Art is a doctor. How many people come into your office, Art, that are vegetarians long-term and have a problem being overweight? <laughs> Probably not many, yeah. And so here we have, here we have, and that wasn't a setup. That was official medical advice. <laughs> so here we have Daniel. Is fat, and fatter is a compliment in this day. So whenever you look at medieval art, you know, they drew people looking healthy. If you were skinny like a model would be today, you were considered unhealthy. In, in medieval times, you have to have what we like to call some, some meat on your bones to look healthy. And so Daniel and his friends are healthy from vegetables as opposed to the king's choice food. This is divine. This is not an accident. All right, we're talking raw vegetables here. And so the Lord is at work within Daniel's life and what he's putting into his body. I just want you to see that. That him and his group look better than the others. So fast forward a little bit through Daniel. 
we kind of read that passage for people who may come up with some sort of excuse as to why they can't fast. Right? Fasting is a supernatural thing. Right? We believe that God is, is om, omnipotent. He's in charge and powerful over everything. We've got to believe that when we're serving him, that he's all-powerful in our lives as well. Make sense? And that he can overcome our shortcomings. Now, having said that, you, I'm not a doctor. You still want to seek medical advice if you have some sort of medication issue that you're worried about, and you can always fast after you get that advice. But there's a, a large group of people, I think, not that I've met here, that balk at fasting for reasons that God is much, much more able to take care of. You following me? All right, so now we keep going in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. This is Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Daniel says this, chapter 9, verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, so Daniel's been reading God's word, and Daniel realizes that as he reads through the, the Old Testament that he is part of God's chosen people, and he's going to realize that God's chosen people should be in God's chosen land. They should be in Israel. And God realizes that the people are being punished because of disobedience. That's why they're in captivity, not in the promised land. And so he says, I prayed, verse 4, to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. I love this next verse. It shows where Daniel's heart is, verse 7. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. So Daniel is realizing that the Lord is holy, that Daniel and his people have, have disobeyed the law of the Lord, and now they're in captivity as a punishment. And he realizes that the name of the Lord is to be praised, and he realizes that his people are responsible for open shame. And what Daniel does is he is in prayer and fasting. So fasting in the Old Testament often accompanied, accompanied mourning over sin. If you read in the Beatitudes already, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning was part of what they did while they were fasting. So it was normal to be repentant of sin, go into a season of fasting, self-deprivation from food, and reflection on your life praying to the Lord, seeking the Lord, and, and for the same reasons that we were praying and fasting. You all know that as we fasted, we communicated with the Lord probably much more. It would have been neat to have some sort of Apple Watch to tell you, not your heart rate, but how many times you communicated with the Lord as opposed to yesterday when you were eating and drinking and being merry, right? So Daniel's praying, fasting, and he's mourning. Now go over to chapter 10. This is chapter 10 of Daniel. Daniel has a vision. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. 
but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. You all have read this before, right? Daniel has a pretty wild dream. He has several pretty wild dreams. And if somebody was to come to you and say, hey, Kleber, try your hand at interpreting this dream. If you get it wrong, it's going to cost you your head, right? What do you think you would begin to do? If it was me, I'd begin praying and fasting and seeking the Lord and, and begging that he would help me. So Daniel, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. Verse 2, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment until the entire three weeks were completed. Then he is able to interpret this vision that he's walking through. And so Daniel does a couple different things for fasting. He doesn't fast from everything. If you look, he says, I, Daniel, I've been mourning. Verse 3, I didn't eat what? I didn't eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth. And so even though he's not eating the king's diet the way that it's prescribed, apparently now in his life, he does have some wine with his meal, and he is eating other foods. But now when he fasts, he's going to fast for three weeks from tasty foods. So when you fast, it doesn't have to be a total fast from all food because you see Daniel's only going to eat things that are not tasty, right? This doesn't mean that if your spouse is a bad cook that you can just eat. I'm only going to eat at home, right? Just jokes, just jokes. Fasting from tasty foods. I have too much fun with Cleaver sitting in the front. He sits in the front in the worship center and, uh, and here. Uh, anyways, so he fasts from tasty foods. I've had friends, uh, when I was in seminary, I had a friend who fasted from anything that he had to chew. So in his mind, if he could get it through a straw, it was fair game. If you, you want steak and you can grind it up, get it through a straw, eat steak, right? If you want whatever, whatever you can think of. If you don't have to chew it, fair game for fasting. That's not my, my choice when I fast. But uh, some people, uh, I think that the Catholic Church is good at this, fasting over Lent, right? Some of our, uh, our higher church denominations are good at uh, fasting from certain things during Lent. So when I went to a Methodist church, I remember our Sunday school teacher asked us to fast for something during Lent, and I fasted as a kid from chocolate, right? I remember people fasting from soda, I remember people fasting from cigarettes. I remember people fasting from all sorts of different things over the course of Lent. And this was all for the purpose of prayer. And so when I was a kid, one of the things that I had to work through when I was fasting from chocolate is it was nearing Easter and somebody gave me an Easter basket early. Right? I'm a kid, middle school age, and somebody gave me a box of Andy's mints. And I remember going to my mom asking her, Mama, I fasted from chocolate but if I just lick the mint part off the back, like, does, that, does that count? And then she, she properly said, well, do you think that you can only eat the mint part and there's no chance that chocolate will get into your mouth? And of course, as a middle schooler, I said, of course I can, right? I can lick all the mint straight off to the chocolate and I can keep my body from eating the chocolate. But uh, so it was, even as a middle schooler, there's that temptation that comes along with fasting. I'm sure that many of you uh, were tempted to eat during your lunch. Anybody have a story about someone showing up with food while they were trying to fast and you had to, had to pass? I remember uh, Larry's nodding his head. He told me that they never go out to breakfast as a, as a work and that morning they all went out to breakfast. He forgot about fasting, right? That's not condemning. I worked for a guy 
when I was getting through college in the construction world, and uh, he was a fantastic boss. He was a very fair man. Uh, he paid us exactly what he told us he was going to pay us. The checks never bounced. Uh, he wasn't what I would consider overly generous, right? He was, he was, he was just simply fair. And so he, there, was, there was no extras with this job. And so one day, it's, it's hot outside, and I'm, I'm trying to get into this habit of praying and fasting. I told you guys before that I, none of this is bragging. This is just by way of instruction. I would fast two times a week on a uh, Tuesday and a Thursday. The Tuesday, I would pray for my family, for my children and my wife. And then the other day, I would pray for our church. And so it just so happened, I worked for him on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so it's one of the hottest days of the summer. And I'm trying out this fasting thing, praying for my family. And he shows up to the job site. He very rarely ever showed up to the job site. And he goes to his truck and he pulls out a box of ice cream sandwiches. This is a guy who's never given us anything extra other than our paychecks on Friday. And he walks up to the group. And I work with three Mexicans and me. And they're like, ooh, they grab the, they grab the, grab the ice cream sandwiches and they start devouring them. And I'm like, God, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this is some kind of sick joke. And uh, so he, he puts one right in front of me as a, as a generous guy. Hey, I got ice cream sandwiches. Have one. And I said, Tom, I appreciate it, but uh, I can't have one today. And we're in this passage in Matthew that says, don't let your fasting be known to everybody. And so now you're in a dilemma. Now there's an ice cream sandwich in my face by someone who wants me to have it. And so Jesus is also going to say, don't lie, right? Liars will inherit their place in the lake of fire, right? So, okay. So what do I do? Do I not lie and go to the lake of fire? Or do I expose the fact that I'm secretly fasting? Well, I just let him know, hey, Tom, actually, I'm, I'm fasting. And so he says, fasting, what's that? Well, opportunity. opportunity. And so I haven't, I'm not wearing it on my sleeve trying to tell everybody, but I explain to him what fasting is, and I tell him I'm fasting for my wife and my kids, and his response is, that's the most unselfish thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Now, had it have been Thursday, I would have been able to tell him that I'm praying for you, right, to be saved. But on that particular day, praying for my wife and family. And so you, you have this dilemma sometimes fasting, where that people are going to find out because you're naturally going to get tempted to do something, to go somewhere. Did anybody get called to go to lunch by someone who doesn't normally call them? That happens all the time when you set in your heart that you're going to fast to the Lord. And so you have to have this dilemma of whether or not you're going to tell them or not. And I recommend always never lying, right? That's always a good policy. And so you're not going to be bragging that you're fasting and how holy you are and how you're seeing from the Lord and hearing from the Lord, but you're just going to Explain to them, I'm, I'm not able to do it because of this reason. And then you try to let it go. But if they push it, you feel free to answer their questions. And so you see that Daniel's fasting from different sorts of things. And so any questions about different things that you could fast from? We had somebody in our church who isn't able to fast from food, but they fasted from uh, Sudoku puzzles and other sort of uh, stay busy games on a tablet. And instead of doing those things, which they enjoy, they read their Bible and prayed instead. And so you have all different things that you can abstain from. We'll keep going for the sake of time. Uh, flip forward a little ways to the book of Jonah. This is Jonah chapter 3. You're going to leave Daniel. It's about three books to the right. Pass Amos and Obadiah. You'll land in Jonah. Jonah's gone to Nineveh to preach. 
when he's in Nineveh to preach, the people begin to repent. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Then Jonah began going through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's a pretty positive guy, right? Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Look at their fast. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. This is a pagan nation, by the way. Laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. So you have this pagan nation of Assyria. When they realize how sinful they are and how outside of the will of God they are, they respond with sackcloth, ashes, and fasting. Not even just them, but their animals as well. So how'd you like to be a sheep herder in Assyria or in Babylon, wherever he is, he's in Assyria, and you get word that even your flocks can't eat or drink? That's a real, that's a real fast. And that's a real problem for you if you're a shepherd. So it's a big deal. So as we keep going down, I want, there's a couple of verses I want to cover quickly before we end. Go backwards to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you brought a digital Bible, this is a piece of cake for you today. All right, Ecclesiastes, right after Psalms and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So we've seen that fasting is normal. We've seen that the purpose of fasting deals with repentance. Now you have a couple different options for fasting. You can fast from different things. You can fast from different food and drink. And so in the midst of fasting, there's choices to be made. You've got to set in your heart what it is that you want to set aside for the purpose of seeking the Lord. And I think Ecclesiastes 5 gives some insight as to how we should guard our heart when we do this. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. When you make a vow to God... And that's what you're making when you wake up and say, I'm going to fast. Right? You're making a vow to the Lord. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. And so Solomon is pretty clear in Ecclesiastes that when we make a vow to the Lord, and this is in the Old Covenant too, that we need to be real careful to keep it. So it's important that when you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to fast today, that at lunchtime when you get hungry, you don't say, ah, never mind, I just said that haphazardly. Because you made a vow to Almighty God that you were going to do something, and you need to do it. And so Solomon makes it real clear, and he says even better. You can go back and read it later if you want to. But he makes it very clear. It's better for you not to vow than to vow and break it. So whatever you do, do it with a, a sense of seriousness and make sure that you're going to keep it. Have I ever said I was, thought that I was going to set out to fast and not done it? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe so. 
Maybe I'd be lying if I said maybe not, right? Uh, but we need to do this with a sense of seriousness. Now we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the last verse we're going to read. When it comes to fasting from different things, and we've got about six minutes left before we need to turn you loose. This is a good lighthearted thing to leave with. This is fasting. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. None of you are laughing yet, so I'm assuming that this might be new information. All right, 1 Corinthians, I said 6, I meant 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says this, verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Art's going to teach on this next week. So uh, Bill, Bill volunteered me to teach this one. Art's got that one next week. Is that fair? This is, all right. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, verse 3, and likewise also the wife to her husband, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then in verse 5, something strange comes up. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so here in the Corinthian church, the early church was abstaining from marital relations for the sake of seeking the Lord in prayer. And if you're like me, you go, hmm. And so Paul gives some instructions concerning this. He says, if you do this, make sure it's only for a time. Why? Because Satan is going to tempt you. Unless you have no self-control, you'll break your fast. And so that falls right in line with what we talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Where Paul realizes that when you make an oath to the Lord, make sure that it's an oath that is obtainable so that you don't break your oath to the Lord. And so he says, when it comes to marital relations, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. And so this is, interestingly enough, this isn't something that one partner in the marriage can do without the other giving consent. Because your body doesn't belong to you. Your bodies belong to each other. So stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so I give you that one also to show you that fasting doesn't just have to be from food. It can be from other things also. Now, I'm probably not going to stand in the pulpit and say, hey, we should go on a fast for marital relations so we can seek the Lord and pray. I'm going to be much more comfortable saying, hey, we should fast from food for a time so that we can go ahead and pray. You guys can loosen up just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's all right. Now that we're winding down, any questions about prayer and fasting in the last five minutes? What I tried to do is make as many observations as we could through the Bible. But anybody have any questions they want to ask? I have one. Go ahead. Is it a set time, like 24 hours, or can you just fast one meal? It's real, it, there's no prescriptions in Scripture about what it has to be. And so it really is between you and the Lord in whatever you want to fast. Uh, it can be as short as a meal. Uh, it can be as long as you want it to be. But I think that principle in 1 Corinthians 7 is good to make sure that whatever it is, you do it for an amount of time so that Satan doesn't tempt you and you, you break your oath to the Lord. 
I think the important thing is that we kind of view this as an, as an offering to the Lord. And sometimes you give $5, sometimes you give $5,000 as was requested. <laughs> right? Anybody have any other good questions? Any question is good, by the way. Pastor Bobby. You, yes, sir. You, we, uh, when you called for this pass, you called to pass uh, for the church. Yes, and sir. for our step forward in the church. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Yes, sir. So when uh, I didn't get to the passage in Acts, but the New Testament church fast in the book of Acts. The church at Antioch has gotten started. If you remember your Acts history, the church at Antioch is the first Gentile church and things are exploding. And so what are the early church leaders doing? There are no church growth books, right? What do you do when 5,000 pagans get saved at one time? Nobody's written that book yet, right? And so you find what the church at Antioch is doing is that it says they're praying and fasting. And while they're praying and fasting, they set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. So as the church at Antioch is going forward, they're going forward seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting, hoping that the Holy Spirit, hoping and trusting, I should say, that the Holy Spirit is going to show them exactly what they need to do. And it really felt like our church was in one of those places. Uh, generally speaking, your first year as a pastor, you really take it easy and get to know everybody, and it's a slow roll but there were so many people, and Covenant was at a place where everybody was ready just to roll that we didn't, I didn't feel that we had time to, to put all the brakes on and stop. And so I wanted us to take some time and pray and fast, especially for our ministry leaders, that we would have the Holy Spirit, we would be in line listening to the Holy Spirit as we roll forward so that we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, not just what we want to do. And so the purpose of the prayer and fasting was so that we could abstain from something that was important to us and listen to the Lord in place of that and really get us into that habit. So that was, that was a lot of the reason for the prayer and fasting. And we'll continue to do this even into to 2020 as we keep getting ministries off the ground and as our ministry leaders keep leading forward. Uh, part of what I read, I wrote down a good quote that I wanted you to hear. Uh, fasting makes your flesh get in line with your heart. Ever read the scripture that... Uh, Paul says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Fasting has a way of getting you to tame the flesh and get it where your heart is. And so that's part of the reason that when we do fast, it gives us, I feel like, better ears to listen to the Holy Spirit because we get into the habit of stop feeding the inner man and what he wants. Right? When you can say no to a bite-sized Snickers bar, when you can say no to breakfast with work, when you can say no to that person who wants to take you out to lunch, that's, you're practicing telling yourself no and listening to the Lord instead, and it's just good spiritual discipline to get into. And so that was, that was part of the reason for our church. I would have loved to have taken a Sunday morning sermon and talked about that, but Philippians I felt like was going pretty good and uh, hated to stop something that was going so smooth. And so that's kind of why we didn't, we didn't do this on a Sunday morning yet. Any other questions? Pastor Bobby, yes, sir. One thing that I've run into, um, I think even when you're fasting, you know, the spiritual warfare side of it, one thing that's really challenging is keep it to yourself. It is. Because I think Satan will make you want to sort of brag a little bit that's about what Jesus what in that 
that area. Mm-hmm. So, I, to me, I, I just, you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to get close to God, but that in that way, Satan sort of doubled down on me mm-hmm. to catch myself and just really keep it to myself. It's tough. And so I'll read Matthew. I know if you have to leave, please feel free to go to choir. But we, we really want to wrap up. But it says again, this is Matthew 6, 16. Whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. They have their reward in full. You know from your study of the Beatitudes that the Pharisees really just liked the power and drawing attention to themselves. And so you, we're in good shape as far as this one goes. And then, but when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face so that it won't be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees what in secret, what is done in secret, will reward you. And so this doesn't just mean that it has to be a secret per se, but you're not airing it out on the street, going to work looking haggard, right? You're, you're keeping, you're, you're doing business as normal. You're just giving this to the Lord. But if someone finds out, it's not a problem. But you don't want to carry your banner around that says, I'm fasting today, right? Uh, Oh, don't use the microwave in the break room. I'm fasting, right? You're killing me. You stay, you stay away from those things. But I do think that, um, that part of Satan's tactic, this is not being the devil's advocate towards just what you said, but uh, I do think that there's an avenue in which Satan would like for no one ever to talk about fasting and, go, and take this command too far. So I've found as a, as a pastor, when I talk about what our church is doing in prayer and fasting, it is encouraging to other churches and other church leaders to see what we're doing. And I'm not doing it to air it out and get it out there. Part of me doing it is that I really believe for any church, the best thing they can do is pray and fast and seek the will of the Lord. I think that's good advice for any church. And so uh, I try to encourage other leaders to do the same sort of thing. And I, and I think that I'm still in good shape in doing it because I'm not, I'm not showing them when I fast. I'm just encouraging them to do something that Jesus already expected of us. So uh, hopefully all this has been helpful. Uh, If you have any other questions, feel free to stop by the office, send me an email, call me on the phone, anything. I'd love to uh, sit down with you over a meal and talk about fasting. (laughs) I love you guys, and uh, let me pray for us, and, and I'll dismiss us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the blessings you give us in life. Lord, we thank you that you promise us to uh, knock and the door will be opened, and uh, ask and we'll receive. And so, Lord, we just want to treasure fasting as a church. Lord, we want to use this tool that you've given us to know you better. And Lord, we do pray that as we abstain from different things, that you would speak into our life, that you would uh, show us your will for our lives personally and then corporately for our church as well. And Lord, I pray that anything that we ever do here as a body would just be bathed in prayer. And Lord, I pray that we would go where you want us to go and not a step to the left or right. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's about it.